It is the new year, and we know that that means in 2024, the great and happy news that this is an election year. Not smiling. <laughs> I, Summer before last, I had a really bad tooth, and for several days I went through excruciating pain. I would gladly go through that again rather than the next nine months. It is a circus out there, and it's going to be even a greater circus. And we are in uncharted territory. I, I know that it's part of a, a constitutional republic that we have leaders that are democratically elected, and that's all well and good. And we have good people that have good reasons to uh, celebrate and, and pursue office to be public servants but can you imagine if we chose church leaders this way? If we had elections and we had social media and we had so at Valley Bible Church, say we're going to choose two new elders in Valley Bible Church this next year. And we put up five candidates and we have posters everywhere and we have debates and we have attack ads and you know, guys out in the in the foyer glad-handing and talking about what a scumbag so-and-so is because in revealing their personal life and their secrets and finances, there's got to be a better way. And there is when it comes to the church. There is a better way, and that's what we're going to be talking about the next few Sundays. We have come to Chapter 3 in our study of First Timothy, and we're going to be talking about elders and deacons and the qualifications of leaders of our church and why that is important. And we'll talk a little bit about how we choose them. But we want to elevate these offices in the church and we want to show that there is a different way to uh, choose leaders. So with that, if you have your Bibles, and indeed we are a Bible church, or if you have a phone or a tablet on which the scriptures uh, reside, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, but this morning we're only going to look at verse 1. Um, his word is a lamp unto our feet, and to give honor to the reading of his word, I ask you to stand. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, the word of God. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated.
Father, we praise you this morning for living in us through your Son and the truth of the song that we just sang. We are crucified with Christ, and it is no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. The life that we now live in this flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and delivered himself for us. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God this morning and make us like the Son of God. For all these things we pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. We are returning to our regular study of First Timothy. We actually technically never left it over Advent. Remember back in late December, November rather, we ended in chapter 2. Then for Advent, we took four Sundays and we fast-forwarded to 1 Timothy 3:16 that says by common confession great is the mystery of godliness he who was refilled in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit seen by angels believed on in the world taken up in glory the gospel that's the gospel Paul is making it very clear to Timothy and to the church there that the ministry there in Ephesus must be gospel centered Remember, he said these words, and we have a couple of key verses in the book. Chapter 1, verse 3, he said, As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, he said to Timothy, Remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. He instructed Timothy to stay there because there were men in the church that were teaching something that was false something that was not in line with the gospel. And he said, you need to instruct them to stop it, to cease and desist. Because they're just paying attention to myths and endless genealogies and words and words and words. It's fruitless. He said, but the goal of our instruction is love. Love from a pure heart and a clean conscience and a sincere faith gospel-oriented teaching rather than these false teachers that are fruitless. And the goal of love is met only in the gospel. And that's why Paul said, um, he said, um, it is a trustworthy statement in, in chapter 1, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he reminds Timothy, Timothy, this is the gospel. This is the, this is the, the center of gravity of the ministry. <clears throat> That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And some have been shipwrecked in the faith. Alexander and Hymenaeus, probably elders in the church. And so he's doing battle. He says, Timothy, you're in a battle. So he says, first of all, in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions be made on behalf of all men. We are to pray for all men and leaders that we might live a tranquil and quiet life. Why? For the sake of the gospel, for the mission of the church. Not just that we would be happy, but so that the gospel would go out. And he says, hey, men, you need to knock it off. You guys that are fighting with one another and wrangling over different things, you need to lift up holy hands with prayer. And he said to the ladies, you need to stop showing off with all your your garments and your jewelry and all that stuff. And he spoke to the women about leadership. And now he's going to turn to the men about leadership. And he's going to talk about elders and deacons. And this is very, very vitally important. 
He's going to give the necessary personal qualifications of what it means for one to serve as an elder or a deacon. Now, chapter 3 ends after he talks about elders and deacons with these words. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, he, he says, this is why I'm writing to you. I write so that you all will know how anyone should conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He's writing to the elders and deacons, the men and the women, to live lives that are commensurate with the gospel, lives that are, that are in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now he is going to talk about the, the elders and the deacons because the false teachers are upsetting the entire church. And this is both corrective for the false teachers and it's preventative It's corrected because it's possible that even in the church at that time in Ephesus, some of the elders have been led astray by those other men. And it's possible that Alexander and Hymenaeus were even elders in the church. Remember when Paul uh, called the elders to Miletus, he said, from your own selves, men will arise. And so it's corrective. If there are men in the church and if there are elders in our church, it should be corrective for us as well. That as we look at the qualifications of elders, that we examine our own hearts. But it's also prescriptive and preventative so that going forward, when we choose and when the church at Ephesus chooses new leaders, that they make sure that they are choosing men who meet the qualifications and meet them properly. So... We're going to look at several things this morning, and the first is this. We want to examine the noble goal to church leadership. The noble goal to church leadership. The honorable aspiration to become a church leader. It's an honorable thing. It's not a bad thing to want to be an elder, to want to be an overseer. By the way, I'm going to use the word elder most of the time, though Paul uses the word overseer here, but you're going to see as we go along, these words are interchangeable. Verse 1, our verse for today, says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It's a trustworthy statement. Now, this could be a statement that was often repeated in the churches in that day. Most likely, I think, in this instance, Paul is demonstrating the gravity, the importance of what follows The importance of church leadership cannot be overstated. And you will see my passion about this this morning, that we must be passionate and we must take uh, to ourselves as a church that church leaders must meet these qualifications. And the importance of the qualifications of church leaders cannot be overstated. Too often churches choose elders or deacons because, well, they're just influencers. Maybe they're businessmen in the community and they, you know, people know who they are. Um, maybe they just have a great personality and they're charismatic and they're funny. Maybe they're good at speaking up front. Maybe they just need some new blood. None of those things are the qualifications of an elder, elder none of them. And we're going to see what those qualifications are in the next couple of weeks. We're going to unfold them one by one and unpack what it means. But again, let me say this. The importance of church leadership and the qualifications of church leaders cannot be overestimated. Why do I say that? For this reason. 
As the leadership goes, so goes the church. As the leadership of a church goes, so goes the church. If leaders are proud, if leaders are angry, if leaders are unapproachable, if they are stingy, whatever it may be, the congregation will take on the, 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 the personality of its leaders. But if its leaders are God-fearing, and if the leaders are loving, if the leaders are humble, if the leaders are mission-oriented and Christ-centered and pursuing godliness, then the church will do the same because they will follow their leaders. And I believe that the barometer, the measure of how good leadership is, is how good the people are. What they love and what their priorities are should be what the leaders love and what their priorities are. Because the leaders should love what God loves and have the priorities of Christ. And that should come down to the congregation. Our very existence as a church, as Valley Bible Church, our health, our effectiveness in the mission of the gospel are all dependent upon the quality of the leaders of Valley Bible Church. Not just elders, but deacons and women's ministry leaders and um, Sunday school teachers and whoever is in any kind of leadership position. We'll be talking about elders specifically, but this is true of all leaders. So here are three things. When we look at this statement where he says it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Here are three things to to begin with. Number one, eldership is open to any man who meets the qualifications. Notice how he begins. If any man, anyone. Some of your translations I know say if anyone, but it is a masculine pronoun there. And we have masculine pronouns and verbs throughout the, the, the text. We're, we're talking about male leadership. Eldership is male leadership. Masculine pronouns, verbs throughout. Paul is going to say here, as he does in Titus 2, the elder must be the husband of one wife. Women, you cannot be the husband of one wife. That's one of the qualifications of being a leader as, as an elder. We have spoken oftentimes, and extol the virtues of the women of Valley Bible Church. Now we have an opportunity to extol the virtues of the men of Valley Bible Church, and we need them both desperately. But this follows the previous teaching that women are not to teach and exercise authority over men. He just said that if you look at the verses just before. So being an overseer, first and foremost, one must be a man, but then that man must meet the qualifications that fall, and we're going to look at them next, next week. And in those qualifications, I think that number one is that you have a proper motivation. Because the trustworthy statement supposes, presupposes rather, that there is a good motivation on the part of the person, the man who is aspiring. Which brings us to the second point. It is valid to seek out church leadership. It's okay. Some people think, well, you shouldn't uh, search out to be a leader in the church. You should just wait and sit on your hands and wait for people to call you out. Paul says it's a good thing to aspire. It's a fine thing to aspire to be a leader. 
To aspire to be a leader is a good thing. The words aspire and desire in this context mean good. They can, they are sometimes used, both of those words, negatively. For instance, the word desire is the word epithumia, which means to lust. But here he's using it in a good way. We can, we can desire something that is good, and that's what he is saying here. If one, though, if a man, however, is aspiring to be an elder for fleshly reasons, for power, for recognition, for money, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, all that is in the world. If a man is aspiring to be an elder or church leader for those reasons, then, of course, that's the wrong reason. We can usually spot it, honestly. But a man must examine himself. And any man who aspires should examine his desires. Why do I desire? Is it because I want to be seen? Is it because I want to be known? When we look at politics, when we look at business, um, that is the primary motivator of people in politics and business and, and, and uh, entertainment. I want to be known. I want to be seen. I want to be out front. I want to be rich. I want to have people and possessions. These things ought not to be in the church. The position of overseer and elder is not a position of power. It is not. It is a position of responsibility, and that responsibility is accompanied by an authority that is derived from Christ. All authority has been given to me under heaven and earth, Jesus said. Go and make disciples. And the apostles went and they made disciples by planting churches and appointing elders in every city. And so that authority is derived and it is vested in the elders of a local church. The third thing we see here from that sentence is this. Being an elder overseer is a noble work. It's honorable. It's good. He says it right there. If anyone, any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine thing. The word good. It's honorable. It's noble that he desires to do this. Paul elevates the overseer. He doesn't denigrate it. He elevates that office because it is honorable. And because it's honorable, then it's worthy to be pursued. Anything honorable is worthy to be pursued, is it not? If you ask a young boy who's sitting in the basement, what do you aspire to be? Yeah, I want to be a TV watcher. That's not a good thing to aspire to. But if he says, I want to be the president of the United States, that's a worthy goal, is it not? And why not having young men in our church, a Valley Bible church, what do you aspire to? I want to be a pastor. I want to be an elder. I want to be a deacon. I want to be a leader in the church. Of course, it's an honorable thing. No good man aspires to be a crook. No good man aspires to be a dirty politician. No good man desires and, and aspires to be a drug runner. A good man aspires to something good. Therefore, the reason that you can aspire is because it is a good thing. But the motive has to be proper. What is the motive? Because you love God and because you love his people. Because you want to see his glory and you want to see the good of his people and you want to be part of that because God is calling you to be part of that. So, it is noble to aspire 
to be an overseer. Second of all, we want to look at this, the crucial role of church leadership. It is crucial. It is absolutely important. I've made that point. But what is it about it that is so important? And so we need to define some terms. And already I've told you that I'm using the term elder for the most part. But we need to define some terms, overseer, elder, and pastor. And let's go through them just very quickly. Overseer, and I'm going to put the transliterations up here because they sound familiar. Maybe you've heard them before. Um, Episcopos. The transliteration is episcopos. We get the word episcopal from it, episcopalian. But this refers to the office of oversight as well as the man. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's one word in the original, episcope. Office of overseer. It's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, the man, in verse 2, must then be above reproach. So, episkopos refers to the office of oversight as well as the man, and it's obvious what it means, that the overseer is given the position and the responsibility of overseeing the congregation, overseeing the ministry of the church, overseeing the people to make sure that all is well and good and going the right direction, and it's a huge responsibility. The second word is the word elder, Presbyteros, we get the word Presbyterian from it. This describes one of us who has spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity comes with faithfulness over time. Time plus faithfulness, one shows that maturity. The word elder means what it sounds like, someone who is older in a sense. But it doesn't necessarily always refer to that. It refers to one who over over time becomes senior in their maturity. And they're recognized by their spiritual maturity. To carry over from the Old Testament of the elders in the synagogues. And they were a council of men. Officials. Members of a council who are recognized for their character and for their wisdom and people would go to the council of elders and they would seek out advice and seek um, resolutions to problems. And that's what an elder was to do. So for us, that's what elders do even today. The third term is the term shepherd or pastor, which describes both giftedness and function of shepherding God's people. This is an important word. We use the pastor, the word pastor very frequently. Pastor Ben, Pastor Chris, who's the pastor of that church? Who are the pastors of this church? Pastor, 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 pastor. It's a very, very common word. But here's a real quick quiz for you, and it's a trick quiz. How many times does the word pastor appear in the Bible? In the text that we use, the New American Standard, it appears one time in Ephesians chapter 4. In the English Standard Version, I think it is zero. Because the word pastor means shepherd. We get pastor from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the service of the building up of the body of Christ. God gave to the church gifted men. 
He gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry themselves, but that the church does this ministry and our responsibility. And pastor teacher, we believe, is a gift of one being a pastor and a teacher. But all elders are shepherds. There are some, we'll look at this in a, in a couple of weeks, maybe next week. Um, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered of, worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. There are some shepherds whose responsibility is to preach and to teach more than other shepherds in the church. My point being this, though, shepherd is the phrase that is used throughout the scriptures to describe pastoring the flock of God. Common throughout the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, shepherds appear many, many times in the scriptures. It's a very common phrase. Leaders in Israel were often given the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. First Chronicles 17, 6. In all places where I have walked with all Israel, have I spoken a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built a house for me of cedar? Sometimes those shepherds were chided for falling down on the job. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah was merciless with these people. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Therefore, I am about to attend to you. It's a fearful thing to shepherd the flock of God. And God takes it very seriously. And we are to take on the role of shepherds as elders, as overseers. And I want to show you those words, how, Im how important the word shepherd is and how we should look at it. The Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 23, 1. Who is, the, who is our shepherd? The Lord is our shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Notice the many ways in which Jesus is called. The different, there are different facets of his being a shepherd. He is the good shepherd, John 10, 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he's saying that to his disciples as an example as what they should do. Jesus is the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And he's talking to the elders there. Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 1 Peter 2, 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is the great shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The great shepherd works through us. You know what this all means? Christ is the head of the church. I am not the head of Valley Bible Church. 
The elders are not the head of Valley Bible Church. This is his church, which he purchased with his own blood. But the responsibility to care for it has been given to the leaders of the church. And you can see what a great responsibility it is that we as elders should always be looking at these examples of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, the great shepherd, and we follow his example in all things. God has given to overseers, to elders, the task of shepherding his church because he's in heaven. And he said, well, I'm going away and you need to take care of him while I'm gone. And this gives the New Testament elder that responsibility and that example of how we are to shepherd the flock of God. And we are called oftentimes under shepherds. He is the great shepherd and we are his under shepherd. Remember, um, when Jesus, after in a post-resurrection experience, he appeared to the disciples in the Sea of Galilee and he went for a little walk with Peter and he said, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, oh yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my lambs. He said again, Peter, do you love me? He said, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, if you love me, you will shepherd my sheep. He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Peter gets exasperated. Of course, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. If you love me, tend my sheep. What an example that is for us as elders and as overseers that we must, if we love Jesus, then we will care for his sheep. And if we care for his sheep, it means that we love Jesus and you cannot separate the two. That is our motivation. And that is how we take care of God's people. So elders are not decision makers. They're not just businessmen. They are to be men who love Christ first and foremost above all else and who love his flock and would give their lives to take care of it. So overseer, elder, shepherd, these terms are used interchangeably. And let me just go through quickly a couple of verses that show you this. Titus 1.5, remember we keep talking about the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. They probably should be called the shepherding epistles because that word pastor only appears one time. But Titus giving the same instructions to Paul, rather giving the same instructions to Titus that he gives to Paul in First Timothy 3, said this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains to appoint elders, plural, in every city, singular, as I directed you. There was only one church in every city. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach. Appoint elders who are overseers who are above reproach. You see, the two terms mean the same thing. Acts 20 very important passage. This is the passage where Paul calls the elders from Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. That's the, the church that we're talking about in First Timothy. And he called them to Miletus. And that's where he warned them and said, from your own, you better watch out because from your own selves, men are going to rise up and draw people away. Verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. And he called to him the elders, plural, of the church, singular. 
28, he says to those men, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, to pastor the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, they're all the same thing. They have the same function. First Peter 5, and I know the words of Jesus were ringing in the ears of Peter when he wrote this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episcopal, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, etc. Elders, shepherding, oversight. Those terms are all synonymous with one another. The summary of that is this. Elders are a plurality of godly men who oversee and shepherd God's flock. That's what they are. Plurality of godly men. They meet the the qualifications. They oversee because they're overseers. And they shepherd, they pastor the flock of God because that's what God has told us to do. We see shared leadership. It's not just one man who has that responsibility. It is a group of men in plurality. We might use the word team today in in today's vernacular. It's a, a shared leadership. It's not the more the merrier. It's the more the lighter. We need men to shoulder the blame as well as the burden. It is a burden to share the, the ministry of the church and it is a, be a burden that is shared. There's a weight to ministry. And the more men that we have who are qualified, the easier that load is. By the way, that's why we have life groups. To share that burden of ministry. And the under-shepherds give uh, life group leaders, in, in one sense, are under-shepherds to them. But we have pastoral oversight so that we can make sure that we are shepherding properly God's people. It is male leadership. We've talked about that. But it is also pastoral leadership, which involves oversight, leading, feeding, guarding, and protecting. That's what it means to be elders. Now, so what? Many of you say, I'm not going to be an elder. I'm a woman, right? What difference does it make to me? Or some of you guys might say, I'm too old to take that on. And some of you men might say, I'm too young. I can't even be thinking about that now. Oh, yes, you can. And I know that there are some men in our congregation who are godly men. And because of something in their life, they will disqualify themselves. And that's okay if they don't believe that they can aspire at this time in their life to be an elder So what difference does it make to us and to the congregation at large? Number one, this is what the scriptures teach. If the scriptures teach it, it's important. Paul would say later in this book, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All scripture is profitable. Even if it doesn't directly apply to you, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. 
Whatever the scripture affirms is true, and the scripture affirms this to be true, and whatever God says is important is useful to all of us. So just to be biblically educated, you must know what the church structure is all about and what these qualifications mean. Second of all, all of us, every one of us, should aspire to the Christ-like qualities that are embodied in elder and deacon qualifications. There are principles involved that, are, that go deeper and, and the, the application beyond just elders and deacons. It's almost like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of us should seek to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And, in, and to some degree, as we see the qualifications of elders and deacons unfolded, there are parts of that that all of us, there are principles that apply to all. For instance, women, you cannot be the husband of one wife, but the principle of being devoted to your husband is in that command, in that qualification. And we'll talk more about the role of um, women and their husbands as we go along because they play a key role. But it's all part of the conduct that is required of the household of God. By the way, men, this coming Saturday, we are having our men's breakfast and the men's leadership initiative. And Mike Powell is going to uh, give a charge to the men of Valley Bible Church, not necessarily to the qualifications of being an elder, but just what does it mean to be a leader? What are the essential qualities of being a leader in your home where you work? As a, as a life group leader, as a Sunday school teacher, wherever you are, what are those leadership qualities that are necessary? So, men, you don't want to miss that this coming Saturday. The third thing that makes this, this important is that we have mutual accountability to God and to one another. We're accountable. We, as overseers and elders, we are accountable to God and we are accountable to you. And you are accountable to God and you are accountable to the leaders that God places over you. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls. The, the gravity of that just hits me that uh, as a leader... We keep watch over your souls and we will give an account one day. Doug and I and and Chris and Caleb and the other elders will stand before God and he's going to say, how did you do taking care of the souls, the eternal souls of the people of Valley Bible Church? But you will be held accountable too because he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. So all of us are responsible for following leaders or being leaders wherever God has placed us. And lastly, the fourth reason this is important is that we all have a role in choosing our elders at Valley Bible Church. There's a process. We, we're not going to have an election, okay? We're not going to have posters. We're not going to have debates, we're not going to have people out in the, in the foyer, you know, trying to win your vote. We don't do it that way. And we don't really know. And uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders, whoever were in the, the churches where they planted. And uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, to rather Titus, to select elders. Beyond that, we don't know. 
But we have a process that we call an elder recognition process. And sometime soon, probably in this year, we will ask from you, are there men that you believe that are part of this congregation that meet these qualifications? That means you need to know what these qualifications are. And as we teach them, it's important because you will be having some say in the leadership of Valley Bible Church. And when those names come to us, we will interview those men and we'll see if they aspire with the proper motives. We will talk to their wives. We'll see if they meet the qualifications as outlined in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And then we will put them back before you. Do you affirm them? So you need to know that for this reason. And we have good men at Valley Bible Church. And you need to know who they are and you need to have a part in choosing them. And there's not going to be some shady election. But we will hold up those qualifications and those men will be evident to you. Father, we're grateful for the word of God and we're grateful for the men that you have chosen throughout church history to lead churches. It is a fearful and wonderful thing. And we pray, Lord God, for the... uh, the blessings and the protection on Valley Bible Church. 